Tokido is the best Street Fighter player in the world right now, and Problem X keeps beating him. Bonchan is a big fat liar, Sonic Fox is still stupid good at every fighting game ever, and we think that Capcom is going to have a pretty rough time balancing Abigail in Season 4. Plus, we take a closer look at what might be the biggest reason people don't stick with fighting games like they do with other esports genres on today's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. Perfect! Hey everyone, welcome back to the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Say hi, John. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, so last night we had the Injustice Pro Series come to a conclusion here with the finals. And uh, you were able to, to get some nuggets there of information so that you wanted to drop on people's heads uh, <laughs> with maybe the um, obvious reference there of not being as gross as I intended. But yeah, what did, what did you see there? <laughs> um, well, spoilers, Sonic Fox is still ridiculous at fighting games. There's so much you can talk about with this guy, and, and we won't sit here and have an entire podcast on him, but the, the short of it is uh, he went over to Dragon Ball Fighters and is arguably the best in the world at that game, um, and, and people will remember that he, for a brief stint, was amazing at Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite when that was mm-hmm. just freshly out, and but he's known for being ridiculously good at the NRS game. So Injustice, Mortal Kombat, save for, you know, we don't even have to talk about Dead or Alive or Skullgirls, or is it Virtua Fighter? I'm not sure off the top of my head. It's Anyways, he's alive, good. Yeah. Okay. He's great at everything that he touches. And, but he's been playing and focusing much of his attention on Dragon Ball Fighters and being world-class at that. Well, the Injustice 2 Pro Series comes right back, and, and we had the, the, the big finals last night. People are saying in this game, um, for those that are still following it, Joker is not the strongest of characters, uh, not too great on the tier list. Sonic Fox says, y'all are whack, you don't know what you're talking about, Joker is not as bad as you think. He busts him out, takes him into Grand Finals, wins in Grand Finals. It was pretty um, pretty epic because it was Joker versus Batman at the uh, at the very end of it. Oh. Um, and it was uh, Sonic Fox versus Rewind, um, who I believe won EVO this year. So... It, it was it's pretty epic, and so he, <laughs> the kid wins with uh, wins with Joker in uh, Winner's Side. Decides he's gonna donate his uh, ten thousand um, dollars, and I think it was to uh, to Rewind to help pay for his father's ongoing medical treatment. I'm not sure the specifics of what's going on with Rewind's father, but um, a, a real stand up move right there from mm-hmm. Sonic Fox, and you know. Uh, so we're talking about injustice here, but one thing that I will quickly take away that I'm every time I watch Fox play, uh, that I try to implement into my own gameplay, the dude is not afraid to be on offense. Mm-hmm. Everything it seems as though, and I'm, it's much more calculated in, than this, but everything is just a road to get into an advantageous position with whatever character or characters he's using, and then just go ham on people, and he makes it look really easy to do that, but. Man, I, I see so much hesitation in my gameplay. Like, well, what if they wake up with an invincible move? What if they're they're going to push this? It's like, yeah, well, maybe they do. But guess what? The probably best fighting game player in the world right now is setting a pretty clear example that, man, just go ham on your offense when you know where you know it's supposed to go. Get yourself to those advantageous positions and then just murder your opponent. He does that pretty consistently in most games that he plays. Uh, and, and yeah, so that was kind of my general takeaway. But a cool little... 
uh, event, not even a little event, but a cool little like spike in, in attention towards Injustice as everyone's kind of waiting for a Mortal Kombat 11. There was no announcement for anything new in the NRS front afterwards, but it was a nice event. It was fun to watch and, uh, and may or may not be kind of the send off for Injustice 2. Right. And to throw it over here to character usage, just so people know, uh, uh, hey, George actually played Joker as well. Um, but he was the only other person in the whole top 16 that played him. Uh, basically, Sonic Fox takes weird characters and says, these characters are really good. You guys are underrating them and you should try them out and explore them for yourselves instead of just going to Batman or Superman or Catwoman or all the other, you know, high end characters basically in this game. And he's just he's infamous for pulling out random character Michelangelo was something we did a story on where everyone was saying, you know, that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles total garbage, you know, don't use them. Uh, and the characters that he played in tournament were almost exclusive to him outside of Joker. Uh, he also played Captain Cold and he played Ca- uh, Black Manta, who no one else played in tournament. And his, his vision in fighting games is ridiculous. He sees the code unlike anyone else. And and. I really hope that he shares that when he writes his book someday and how he, he does that. Because maybe it's just a matter of if he lays it out, then some of us can follow in his footsteps, even though it kind of, it seems to come to him naturally. But man, that guy sees fighting games. He sees the intricacies and the nuances of what it means to press jab, what it means to space yourself away, you know, all of this stuff. And he's just so able to translate the translate that into a winning strategy in his brain. It's not even funny. Yeah. And that actually brings up what uh, one of the, the top lab monsters in our entire community did recently, which is a tier list for Street Fighter 3, or Street Fighter 5, I should say, season, season 3 characters, where he had Blanca up on top. And I don't know a single other person, maybe except for uh, Wolfgang, uh, who thinks Blanca is that good. And I don't even know if Wolfgang thinks he's that good. Uh, I've never seen Blanca up on top of a, a season three tier list. Um, so just to, to list this out for people, we've got Blanca first, we've got Cody next, then G, then Sagat, Sakura, Falk, in that order. Um, Falk being worst is not, you know, any kind of epiphany. But I wanted to get more into this and explain to people why this could be, because it's not like Javits is an idiot and doesn't know what he's talking about or anything like that. He is, again, one of the top technicians in our entire community. He is great at discovering tech for pretty much every character in the game, uh, at least the ones I'm thinking of offhand. And how you go about there, how you get to that point is it's like the Sonic Fox thing that we're talking about. You have a different way of unpacking the game and processing it and getting it to a point where you see something that other people do not. You see technology, you see approaches that other players are sleeping on, and that happens all the time in fighting games. It's very infamous uh, in Super Turbo uh, to have DJ uh, ended up being, you know, he was kind of like a mid-tier character by most people's standards, and in like really late in the game's lifetime, he ended up you know, kind of not skyrocketing, skyrocketing up the tier list, but getting further up there. And mm-hmm. then we have someone like Old T-Hawk who Damdai took and applied Street Fighter 4 technology to him and did a bunch of option selects on your wake up. And if you did pretty much anything, you were dead if he, he did it correctly. But it was like, you know, it was a very complicated option select. I think it was some kind of like diamond pattern or like star pattern that he had to do like on the joystick to pull it off correctly. And basically what would happen is Old T-Hawk would either SPDU or he would DPU. Uh, and it was, you were stuck in that. It was, you know, Super Turbo had some 
inescapable things that you could pull off with old T-Hawk, where we're kind of not too used to that in modern day fighters, where it's very rare to have an inescapable option. I think the closest thing to it is kind of Cody's uh, V-Trigger, well, I think it's V-Trigger 1, I'm not sure, if, the pipe. Uh, maybe that's V-Trigger 2, it doesn't matter. He command grabs you, throws a rock up in the air, and it's like, you, it, if he does it perfectly, it's weird, and, and we brought that up before, and there are escapes to it, but I think that's about the closest thing to it. Yeah. And and if that were in a modern fighting game, people would, or developers would patch it out, people wouldn't be okay with it. It's just not seen as um, something that people want in their fighting games for the most part. But going back to Javits and his tier list here for the Season 3 DLC characters, I think, yes, it's it's weird that he would put Blanca on top, but what people are talking about the most, and I, I have to agree with them, is that you're not putting G on top. Not only are you not putting G on top, you're putting him third, below yeah. uh, Cody as well. And the, well, so, so a lot of people have expressed that, no, come on, Javits, get out of here with that. And his response, as far as the Twitter thread from when I read it uh, yesterday, was that it's because G doesn't have an invincible reversal, which is true. He's got really bad defense, um, but his offense is ridiculous. It, mm-hmm. He can grab you from, not not grab you, but like score a touch from a lot of different areas, from a lot of different distances, I should say. And that combos for forever, sends you to the corner. He's got a command grab. It's very slow, but he gets a lot off of it, especially when he's got V-Trigger active. He can skate across the floor and go low at you, which is always a very strong kind of thing to have, especially in a game like Street Fighter V. Uh, and so... To say that, yeah, yes, it's it's a detriment to the character that he doesn't have a, an EX reversal or a wake-up DP kind of situation to get you um, off of him. But there are that, that's not the most important thing in this game. I think offense is more important than defensive options. And to say that he's below these other characters, I just don't see it. Even with that one line of explanation, and maybe Javits has, has responded more than that, um, I do think... And, and I'd be very open to have a, a conversation because like you set this up with, Javits is very smart. He he lives for this stuff, man. Like he's constantly, if you go on his Twitter, he's got plenty of followers and he's constantly posting uh, tech that he finds in the training room. That's like his favorite place to be. And people have learned a lot from him. He's got a decent amount of clout. So it's not like this is just coming from some whoever in left field. Like this is this is Javits. But I do disagree with him here based on my understanding of how these characters work. And, and if you go through like the comments of the story that we did, almost everybody that comments on it, uh, that comments about the tier list says G's on top and, and doesn't really agree with him. So I would be very, um, very intrigued to see what he has to say on this, but I definitely disagree. I, I don't think that there's a world where G isn't the best. And then to say Blanca's on top, maybe Javits knows something that I don't. Uh, but, but man, the character's just so much in the way of 50-50s that, nah, I don't know. So I agree with you. I think Javits is wrong here, but here's how he could be right. And mm-hmm. that would be the best example I can think of is Sako's Monat versus Justin Wong's Monat. You have two polar opposites. One of them has combos for days, and Sako, uh, he pulls out, things that just blow your mind on a consistent basis the other kind of ekes by on a handful of of combos that you're kind of surprised if he's able to land a full one and yet his results hold up very well against Sako 
And it's the same character, same, you know, V-Trigger, a lot of the same scenarios, but they have very different approaches on how they fundamentally think that character should be played. And, and I, they, you really could not find a more polar opposite approach in a character, if you ask me. And it, it's a testament to the character that she can be played both ways. A lot of characters, they have, uh, they don't have that extreme uh, level of diversity that they can apply to their game plan. It's pretty unique with Monat in this game and a handful of others as well. But when you take that example now and you look at the matchups of a character and let's say that there's a character that's very susceptible to uh, being rushed down, but they're not very good at being zoned out. So someone like, uh, you know, Sako might think that matchup is much easier. Let's just say, for example, that someone who's very susceptible to rush down and not so much being zoned out is, let's say, Blanca. I'm not even sure, but, you know, so... Sako might think the Blanca matchup's a piece of cake, where Justin Wong might think the Blanca matchup is absolutely horrible. And that dramatically, of course, you know, tiers are supposed to be based mainly on matchups in a game. How many favorable matchups do you have? How many unfavorable, etc. And so that's where you can kind of get into these weird things of like, maybe Javits knows something about Blanca that we don't know. That's why he has him up at the top of the tier list uh, for season three characters. And, and that, and what kind of hidden tech is being sat on there or what kind of approaches should we be using? Uh, I don't think Blanca is one of the worst characters in the game, but I don't think he's particularly great either. I, I still have him on the lower, you know, mid part of things, but that's what it comes down to. And Justin Wong spoke about this actually quite extensively in his column where you might have a player matchup, you know, where it's 6-4, where, you know, Zangief beats you in this matchup for some reason, you just don't like it. But he might also specifically counter your own personal style as a player. And that match might go to a 7-3 or an 8-2 because he just inherently makes you uncomfortable and what like what you spoke about with sonic fox where he is so comfortable applying that pressure and being in that zone where he's just kind of not he's not second guessing himself and he's just flowing and letting stuff go through him and all that and and that's a big deal and it goes into why we talk about why it's so important to play a character that clicks with you personality wise. Anyone can pick a top tier. Anyone can play a high tier character, but if they don't fit you personality wise, you're going to find yourself in so many uncomfortable situations where you just don't think things are going very well. And, and they're, they're not going to go very well for you essentially. And Sonic Fox's personality is everyone on the cast of every game because <laughs> he can do it all, man. <laughs> not, not quite that but not exactly entirely removed from that either. Yeah, uh, I do agree with you there. One thing you were talking about, though, is is just how good Blanca is and something to keep an eye on in terms of the history of Capcom and what they do is the, the season after a character comes out, you know, so the season three cast, they might be all very, very good in season four. Like a character like G might get almost nothing but buffs. Uh, that's what happened with Urian. It's what happened with basically Abigail. Uh, those characters all got significantly better. Monat obviously got significantly better. Uh, the history here is that, that Blanca, Cody, G, Sagat, Sakura, and Falk all could be at least probably like half of those are going to be quite good in season four. And you, if you don't know those matchups, it's probably a good time to start studying them because you're going to be seeing those characters a lot. Some of them a lot. Yeah. We saw Balrog go from half, like from okay to amazing when then the jump from season one to season two, uh, same thing with Urien and then, yeah, so, but, but all of those characters have also been victim to this, the 0.5 patches, right? Season right. 2.5, season 3.5, they toned them down. But it's interesting. 
if if Capcom's going for I want people, we want people to play the new characters, to buy the new characters, and so we're gonna make them good. It's like just make them good out of the gate because I mean, even though that sucks for the game's balance, at least it's getting people's attention playing these characters, and then you tone them down, and you still got people somewhat invested in them, as opposed to the Falk situation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they buff her up, if more people return to her, or if there's like, yeah, well, she's not a legacy character. I don't have any reason. I'm not playing her now, really. I don't have any reason to stick with her. I, she'll have to be pretty dang good in order to to grab people's attention now that we're you know so many months in, and, and now we make her good. Uh, so I, I really hope they don't take that route, though, of just suddenly buffing up the DLC characters or a handful of them and making them problems because... In all of those instances, they've been problem characters. Abigail Season 3, Urien Season 2, Balrog Season 2. Uh, it's it's not been pretty. And so I would hope that they would learn and not have to go through that couple months of, oh, this really is, is affecting the, the competitive scene. Let's tone them down a little bit. Just give them a little bit to begin with, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, history often repeats itself, and that's why I go to this. People yeah. fall into the same ruts. They fall into the same habits, and you see the same things happen over and over again. And the exceptions to the rule are sometimes what people want to, you know, cling on to. Like, well, you know, this one thing happened and it's like, yeah, that did, but you kind of have to look at what the majority uh, takes place of. And unfortunately, I think in Capcom's case, I think a lot of their their initial DLC characters aren't going to be very good. G has been an exception. Uh, I think uh, Akuma has been an exception from the get-go. I think he was quite good. Uh, I think Guile was pretty good, you know, um, mm-hmm. from the get-go. There have been some exceptions there, but it's definitely not the rule. And... Man, I, 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 we'd have to go back and compile each character to just see how, how bad they've been from the, you know, the start. Uh, I think that's been more, you know, the common cases either mid tier are just not very relevant, pretty much. And and again, we've talked about that a lot. Where we we'd rather see these characters come in at higher, you know, higher ends of power and and get toned down from there. I certainly would rather see that. It just it gets people a chance to explore them from the get-go and it helps make up for that huge experience difference, that that deficit that is devastating. I'm having to play against people who've been playing their character for two or three years now. How am I supposed to keep up with that with a character I've only had for a week or a month or a couple months or whatever? I should have a little bit more of a power advantage there, not being at a power deficit again, which is the case the majority of the time. Right, right. And and in an ideal world, it's like they're not ridiculous in either direction and they're just decently balanced and you can figure them out. And I think like we look at Colleen, she wasn't as good when she first came out, but she wasn't broken. But she was she she hit that line where she was explorable, mm-hmm. right? And she was an attractive like visually, she was appealing. She had uh, interesting tools. She played a little different than everyone else cool little ice moves and whatnot. She was, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll take her in. We'll, we'll check things out. They gave her a little bit more of a buff, especially with that V-Trigger 2. And here we're seeing more and more Colleen players emerge in like Momochi and Nephew. And you see her all the time online. At least that's my experience. And I think that's a pretty good example of a good, well, new DLC character. New in the sense that she's never been playable in Street Fighter before. Getting into... Um, the online aspect, because uh, you know I'm an online warrior, and and that's where I do most of my training. Where most other people seem to be doing their training too. Uh, GG is locals. It seems like you know those are kind of fading away more and more. I wanted to talk about characters who are easier to play online and why that is. And looking over the character stats, we all know that Bison and Yurian are typically at the very top heap of the character stats that Capcom releases every uh, month on the CFN, and. 
why that is. Why are these characters so much easier to play? And, you know, we can fall back on the statements of, well, character X is dumb. And yeah, that is. And it just do it moves, right? But I wanted to get into a little bit more of the nuance there and, and talk about what makes these characters so dominant and why you're always facing them. And one of the things is a lot of these characters have moves that are easily hit confirmed. You take a character like Karen who has to hit confirm off of, you know, her crouch medium kick, uh, in some instances at least. That's what Punk does. Uh, I don't know how often he does that online. Maybe he does it all the time. But I know offline, that's like a couple frame confirmation window there. It's a very tight thing. And unsafe if you're not successful on it. Yes. And you get blown up big time. That's hard to do. And I don't see a plethora of Karens online when I go to play. It's not like I'm, you know, up there against, you know, Akami, Nikali, Guile, Kuma, etc. Those are the, you know, the characters I run into kind of over and over again. And those are the characters that have the hit confirmable, confirmable moves that are, you know, typically either safe or, you know, as long as you don't, you know, dial a combo and try to hit all the other buttons you could basically get it out and, and that's why i personally think those characters are very prevalent online but what has your experience been like why do you think certain characters like those are, are more popular well well you have the foundational idea that online is slightly different because of the lag mm-hmm. right so it's a little less predictable and so i would assume that moves that require precise reaction um, by the defender are going to be more successful online than they are offline uh, and that that boils into strategies, movement, um, actual techniques. And so characters that have moves like that are, are able to spam them more and, and to get more out of them. I think that's my, my very first takeaway. Um, and then you're saying that characters that can that, that don't have to worry as much about hit confirms I mean that that goes into they have it too. easy hit confirms basically they they can chain a couple normals into each other with without issue and that's how they hit confirm if you have a one mm-hmm. button or you know a, a few frame hit confirm which a few characters have it's much tougher to play that character online especially when latency is factored in right and um, and and or if you have like bison can do scissors right and they're not they're not plus but they think they're safe so like you could you could cancel into scissors and like hey if it's not um if it's not successful then hey i'm all right but right. if it is then hey i get the damage some and of them are on un- some of them are unsafe lights and mediums can be unsafe and then the heavy kick is always negative too so should be safe o- under most circumstances sure sure so i think that the the biggest contributor is the fact that you know moves online uh, it's you can just be a little bit more laissez-faire and and you know, just just do it online. So I think that would be my my core answer to this. Um, but then, yes, offensively, to have to have more precision, it's like that makes total sense. Uh, that it wouldn't be as you wouldn't be as fruitful in your online, you know, expeditions and such because you're you're having to be more precise. So it's like maybe the more broad, the more general approaches, where it's like I'm not thinking about the intricacies of this as much. I'm just doing the thing over and over again. Would be um, the characters that are going to do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you have a lot of reaction-based mix-ups that aren't hard to do. Uh, for example, Bison's, you know, uh, V trigger one dashes are really difficult to react to even offline. And you take those online and that's not hard to do. You're pretty much mashing the joystick and hitting a button and hoping for the best. Uh, a number of characters have mixups like that, especially in V trigger. Where you have a character like, you know, Monat, where you're having to hold like 20 different buttons and timing them all correctly and trying to get out of Reach Trigger 1. It's not necessarily easy to play Monat online. Uh, I personally struggle with it quite a bit. I only go to five bar matches now at this point. Like if you're four bar or worse, it's like I can't play you. Not with this character. It requires such precision and 
one mistake can cost you the entire match with this character where she doesn't have the health nor the resources to kind of get people off of her traditionally. So mm-hmm. there, it's it's one of the reasons I think she's a, a lower end character on the character stats pretty consistently. Uh, she actually jumped up very recently. She was um, normally in the bottom four of character stats and, and with the latest stats here for October, she's jumped up to um, 20th overall for a winning percentage, which is a gigantic leap uh, in my from my perspective here of things. But again, you have characters like Birdie, Bice, and um, Guile and a number of others that are just kind of like always at the, the very top of the tier list, as I mentioned, uh, Yuri, for winning percentage here. And it's it's just interesting to me. There are definitely characters that, that favor online in that environment a little bit more. Um, and it's if you are looking to be primarily an online warrior, I do advise kind of staying away from the technical characters. Uh, it's a frustrating and difficult path uh, that you are about to adventure on. Yeah, I mean, if you, especially if you, hit confirm and then it rolls back and then all of a sudden your hit confirm is not a confirm and and it's blocked you know especially if you're going into super your your entire that that entire round that entire match the experience is just moot in a very bad way at that point so but i mean it's also what we have Mm -hmm. right and online has done so much for fighting games i think that's one of the the key reasons why street fighter 4 blew up the way it did is because well hey you could play from home as well so you don't have to have an arcade that you can go to locally with a bunch of people that will also go at the same time you can just boot up online and and begin to train that way and it's like it's not the same thing no i don't think anyone's going to argue that online and offline and the experiences of doing that are the same thing but there's also something i wanted to kind of talk about and this makes sense to do it here the idea that pe- like people that play online are bad or are worse mm-hmm. or that we should shun them or talk negatively about them. And, and I've been somewhat guilty of this because I grew up, quote unquote, grew up in the, you know, in my in my Street Fighter days, like earlier Street Fighter days, about eight or nine years ago in that exactly. And and there's there's credence to it, right? Because online clearly does. We've ex- we've ex- examined it pretty, you know, pretty heavily. Online clearly does. Uh, lead to you know developing habits that aren't going to work offline and aren't going to work in a more precise and and clear cut situation that would be you know like a, a major tournament or something like some, that. Some some habits. I want to make sure that we put that caveat in there. Some of the training you do online is perfectly applicable to offline as well. But I agree. Yes, yes, and and it also depends on how you practice or how you choose to play. Uh, Eight hundred one Strider. There aren't many people in his. Um, in his you know local community, especially not now, I don't think. And he he spends most of his time either in training mode or online. The thing is, he's actively aware of what he's working on, and he's actively aware of what's going to work offline versus online, and doesn't traditionally fall on the crutches that are you know the online. Well, you can probably get away with this, so I'm going to do it. You know, you play with that still same you know mentality of like, well, I'm not going to be able to do this later so i'm not going to practice it now and and so but i say all this to get to the idea that like we shouldn't be shunning people that play online we shouldn't be viewing them as worse you know like if if it comes down to it maybe you're going to do better than them and, and you can teach them that they're a little bit worse because of the habits they've developed when you guys play offline but as far as making it like a like a, a negative that people practice online it's like that's 
I think that's doing a lot more harm than it is helping us as a community. And so I think that it's time to start getting away from that. Because I, I also think that a time is coming where online will be more or less exactly like offline. Once we, we level up, you know, there's next generation of consoles, you know, with, with I'm obviously we're trying to level up our internet experience across the board. It sounds like Korea and Japan are already, you know, mostly there. And so... Yeah, we don't want to make this taboo, and we've very much been doing it. I get why we've been doing it. Let's stop now, and let's just say, hey, you know, online, offline, it's fine. We're happy to have you. If you're doing something stupid, like people that play offline can can develop dumb habits too, you know. And so, so I think that that should be something that we strive to do as um, as a community, because otherwise, we're just we're creating fights and, and such that we don't need to have. It's a classic thing of me of hey, you can't throw me in Street Fighter two, and if you throw me, it's cheap, and I ah. get to throw you back. And the classic scrub mentality. And I go back to Serlin's playing to win. Uh, that book is incredible, and it should be pretty much required reading by everyone in the fighting game community who's hoping to level up and to get better. It's not a long book. It's available for free online. Serlin has a bright, very bright mind for game design and good philosophies and everything. Uh, and that's the biggest plug I'll probably ever give him. <laughs> I like <laughs> Serlin and everything. It's just uh, uh, that's a nice plug I give him there. But yeah. Um, it's the classic thing of, I don't like the way that you do this. And I have my own rules and my own mindsets, and I'm going to impose those on you and hold you back. Yeah, it's uh, the, I damn it, I've got Star Wars going through my head now of freaking Anakin Skywalker <laughs> whining at Obi Wan for holding him back. That's what's going <laughs> to my head because memes like constantly play around our, our little office Skype thing. But anyway, uh, when people give you a lot of bad advice out there in terms of how you should play the game and what you should be doing, and you need to be careful how much you let in there. It's There's good advice out there. There's plenty of bad ones. And if you are hearing people say something like, well, you know what? Like, you're playing on a pad is completely irrelevant and stupid, which you heard personally, and I heard as well. And uh, it, it's it, that stigma has been around for quite some time. It's complete and total BS. There's no validity to it at all. We have proven beyond a reasonable doubt that controller players can be just as good as stick players uh, and better or whatever. It's it's nothing. There's no inherent disadvantage in there unless you feel it's a disadvantage. Unless you cannot function properly on a you know controller or steering wheel or a hitbox <laughs> or whatever you want to play on. And it goes back to the same thing. You can you can train badly online. You can do some things on there that are going to hurt you. But if you approach it in the right ways, if you're intelligent about it, if you if you research things properly, you're 100% set. Do not listen to what other people have to say there. It's a you threw me in Street Fighter 2. I get to throw you back, and I'm going to be a whiny little baby about it now. It's literally, I, I, man, I heard that so many times. And uh, the, the classic story there is someone's like, okay, we're not going to play throws in Street Fighter 2. I'm going to pick Guile, and I'm going to chuck booms and block all day, and you're not going to be able to do anything. And literally, the other person couldn't do anything. It's Street Fighter 2 Guile, which is, oh boy. Uh, and and the other person could not beat this other guy. It's like, yeah, it's he could just block all day. There's no you know real chip damage, and you're not going to beat Guile in a fireball game, especially in a good player. It's just, ugh. The, it's so funny how many of these stigmas follow the fighting game community around and just they hold us back and they hold us back from getting good and being smart about this and being intelligent. So don't be one of those sheep. Don't be one of those people that get held back for no reason at all. Um, only be a sheep if you're Nikali. 
Absolutely, a water sheep. <laughs> and, you know, so a, a pretty a good example of this and, and how I think we should go about conducting ourselves is when someone's brand new and they're, and they're figuring things out and they find the, the joys of the wake-up invincible DP and you go, you shouldn't rely on that, you shouldn't do that. A, a big part of my own personal growth through the fighting game community I learned that there were things like that that you should never, ever, ever do because they're bad. Mm -hmm. And the answer is not you should never wake up DP. That's a very real tool, and it's very powerful, but it has a lot of uh, risk associated with it too. It's understanding, it's, it's articulating to someone that's learning the risk and the reward of each individual move, why this is good, why it's bad, and how you should use it, as opposed to, that's bad, never use it, because you, you hit me with a couple wake-up DPs and I'm salty when you quote-unquote shouldn't have, and it's like, yeah, I get that, and I get that they're not going to win tournaments, they're going to win rounds, and that's not a very good approach to the, that's not fun for anyone, because they're not ultimately winning, and you're getting frustrated and sometimes random out. But instead of getting mad at someone like that, you tell them, okay, so Wake Up DP has this going for it, but it also uh, risks this. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it in the bigger picture, it's like, okay, you're going to win this amount of the time, but you're not going to win this amount of the time. And it's like, you have to really sit down and think about it. But you know, it, that, that's, that's teaching someone something very valuable. And if you can articulate why something is good or why something is bad or why it lands on the some specific spot on the good-bad spectrum, you give them so much more reason to think about it and appreciate it and probably just become a better player, uh, which is what you want as the, the person that's playing against them that doesn't want to get randomed out. So go about it that way. Take the extra time to think about it and articulate it because, uh, you know, we need to invest into our, into our community. I agree completely. We also had uh, Problem X run into Tokido this uh, last weekend, and they played at uh, Red Bull Kumite. And now this is the, the second time that these guys have, have played uh, this year, as far as I know. Uh, they ran into each other at EVO. Uh, Problem X came out the victor there. And once again, uh, at Red Bull Kumite, Problem X came out the, the winner. And now we're, we're starting to speculate a little bit here. Does Problem X have Tokido's number? Uh, Tokido is most people's number one player right now in Street Fighter V. And, and if they run into each other at Capcom Cup, are we going to see basically history repeat itself as we were just talking about here? There's exceptions. It's not like it's been 100% lopsided. Uh, Tokido ran it back at Evo and got the, uh, the bracket reset in grand finals. So it's not like he's completely, you know, getting blown up here in these matchups. But Problem X has eliminated him twice from tournaments now. And that's more than most people have can ever say, like, in, you know, Tokido's entire history of a fighting game player. It's like that's it's getting a little bit to the point of like, wow, is this going to be a blow up if they kind of, you know, face each other? Um, and again, Tokido will have to go back and cry himself to sleep on his bed of money that he's earned throughout the year. Uh, it's it's not going to be any kind of gigantic loss for him, but it's Capcom Cup. It's coming up. Uh, this is the last time CPT points are going to be assigned for 2018. It's going to lock in the seedings and the standings. And and just so people know, the um, right now, Tokido is a number one seed. Uh, it's I, There's no way for him to be thrown from that. He's got, I think, like 4,000, over 4,000 points. Uh, my goodness, you're, you're not catching up to that. Um, it's mathematically impossible now. Problem X is the third seed. If that stays the same, which is a most likely outcome, they wouldn't actually run into each other until winner's finals. Uh, and that's, again, a long way into Capcom Cup. Uh, it, and that's assuming, again, also neither player gets knocked into the loser's bracket before before then. Uh, but it's 
man, I'm I'm excited for this match. Like I I I keep thinking Tokido's gonna adjust and yet Problem X just seems to have that that mental advantage. And, and at Red Bull Kumite, it was reasonably like it was competitive, but it wasn't close, if you ask me. It just seemed like, yeah, Problem X is gonna win this and and he did. Well, uh, yes, and, and if you look at their matches between Red Bull Kumite and Evo, where they've played a total of three different sets, I think the, the spread is 7-3 to three in favor of Problem X in terms of individual games. I don't know what the rounds are. Um, that's, that's a win, for sure. But to say that, like, I don't know, to, I think that's a little bit too broad to say that we're just going to count Tokido out against Problem X because he'll have his number. Um, first thing, you know Tokido is doing everything in his power to look up that matchup. I mean, this is this is his profession, right? right? He's going back, he's looking at his sets, what he specifically did wrong against Problem X. He's investigating Bison in general. He's investigating Problem X's Bison in general. All if right, you think all right. he's going in... No, I, I'll... I'll, I'll... I concede that 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 Tokido is a very much a professional player, but wouldn't he have done that right after Evo? Probably, and, and it didn't and work. Right? Yeah, it didn't work. Like, what's up? Well, I, I'm still too. Uh, I think it's still too quick to count Tokido out. Okay. Um, with, I, I mean, you're right with these numbers right here. But considering, like, if if you're asking me where I'm going to put my money. I wouldn't necessarily count Tokido out. Uh, I wouldn't at this point. I wouldn't be surprised. I think Problem X has leveled up a lot, and he's you know the the recent history has shown that he has had Tokido's number. But to say that that's going to continue to be the case, I need more proving before I'm going to jump on that boat. Okay, essentially. No, no, no. That's totally fair. So I've got a gun to your head now because I love this one, and I'm telling you, you have to pick. uh, Problem X and Tokido are going to go to winners' finals. Let's just say you know they 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 win all their matches. They're in there. You have to pick one. Who do you pick? Well, my gut still, it's hard for me to, to count out Tokido. Okay. I don't think he's immortal. Right. But if I, I don't know what the Vegas spread might be. I guess Vegas would say would say Problem X at this point, right? I, I have no idea. Vegas is unpredictable. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I personally would. Uh, I would think that Problem X has got the... We both know there's a there's a mental edge in fighting games, and boy, have we ever seen it uh, on firsthand, even with this player and someone else, and that would be Tokido and Daigo. Um, Tokido lost to Daigo not that long ago and ended up breaking down crying in tournament just for how upset he was and how you know hard he trained and all this other stuff. And he's a better player than Daigo right now in Street Fighter Five, but that head to head mental hurdle of him playing against Daigo is very difficult for him to overcome. And I, again, that, that pouring out of emotion, it was very clear. It was all over his face, his body language and everything. He wants to beat Daigo. Man, I almost wonder if he wants to beat Daigo more than he wants to win like Capcom Cup. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, and again, he's had some victories over Daigo. It's not like it's an impossible feat for him, but there's something there. There's a there's a hurdle there that that he wants to overcome because he's lost so much to him over the years, so much. And, and Daigo has gotten all this praise and all this, you know, sponsorships, and he's you know become the poster boy of fighting game esports, where Tokido has always kind of been, you know, a second fiddle, so to speak, until recent times. And, and so there's a lot there. There's a lot of history that goes in, and all this stuff is playing into people's minds when you know you've got a big matchup coming up here. And again, it's not that extent to Problem X. Uh, but you know this person's beat you on the biggest of stages, and he's gonna be, and he's beat you again recently. That's in the back of your mind, no matter what. And 
and when things go sideways, when they you know inevitably do in Street Fighter Five, something always goes wrong and some BS happens. Uh, I forget what European players said this, but like you always have to be prepared for uh, for BS to happen basically in Street Fighter Five and and deal with it. Uh, when that happens, you get on tilt, and all of a sudden you start questioning everything, and that confidence slips away from you. And I don't know. I mean, if it was me, and I'm putting the gun on my own head, I I would take Problem X here. I I think that it's not a lock. It's not a hundred percent, but I'd actually give him like about a seventy thirty advantage at this point in time. Uh, that I think he's kind of in Tokido's head, and I don't know if Tokido doesn't have enough practice against Bison. I don't know what the deal is, why he has such a big issue there. But I I feel like. The matches, from what I've seen them, they're just not that close. Yeah, and and that's that's all valid. Um, and I think I, I'm sure there were there was a European player that said that, but Tokido himself has said that uh, mm. in not so many words, talking about how he meditates and then saying when you're meditating and inevitably your mind trails off or you hear a noise and and you get you know distracted what you do is you just acknowledge the distraction and you say okay and move on from it instead of dwelling on it and then he he translated that to when something crazy and it will happens in street fighter 5 you acknowledge it and you move on from it instead of dwelling on it because then your mind isn't on the present and it isn't on what you're doing right now and you get hung up and so he's actively practicing that and that's a big part of his meditation and his calming between rounds you see him doing all that kind of stuff a lot of the time uh yeah i i think that technically it is like a 60 maybe 65 35 um in favor of problem x right now i also think that if i bet against tokido and lost i would feel like crap <laughs> so <laughs> uh but but everything you're saying there like i can't i can't argue against it the numbers the recent numbers are very much in his favor and but there's a lot to explore here. It's like, is this a quick flash in the pan or is Problem X establishing himself on this new level that he's he's already been a great player for a long time, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been world-class great. And mm-hmm. now he's in that realm. And if he can be consistent here with uh, with what he's been doing mainly over the last year or so, then then that levels him up to the point where, okay, he's no longer in this probation period against against like the the absolute greats. He's now part of that that group. And that takes a while. I mean, he's won Evo and I'm still talking about him as in a probationary period. But like you have to have some consistency and we'll see what happens here. Capcom Cup is going to be a big indicator for this guy. So Problem X is at the uh, third seed right now on the CPT standings, and it's actually possible he could slide to the fourth seed. I think Fudo um, is maybe the only player who can overtake him or one of the few who could. Um, it's a, it's definitely possible he slides down a little further than that, and if that happens, uh, he, he could face Tokido a little earlier than winner's finals. So we'll see. Uh, again, I put it as unlikely. He's got a lot of points. He's very well earned them this season. Uh, he's done very well. But the standings are a little fluid from pretty much about like the third spot onto about the eighth spot with a number of players within a couple hundred points are less of each other. Do we know if players like Fudo are headed to the North American finals? Because that's the um, only place you can get points at this point, right? Yeah, it's a, this is the final CPT points event. You cannot get points after this. It's The standings are going to be locked. We're going to be doing brackets up on the, the web like right after the event ends. Uh, we're going to have blowout coverage. We're going to be talking about all the first-round matchups. We're really going to go balls to the wall here. Uh, so there's... I don't I don't know how many players are, are going and how many players are just like, you know what, my, my seating is good enough. I'm going to save my tech for Capcom Cup here in another month and you guys are going to see me there and let's go. But 
you know, we're, we'll have full blown out coverage here this weekend of everything happening. Uh, and, you know, definitely tuning in here actually to uh, hopefully what, I, what I'm hoping is, is a rose reveal or some kind of rose teaser, uh, mm-hmm. which I actually did a, a creepy version with up on the website of a, a banner with myself with like heart eyes and a little anime, uh, uh, you know, cheeks and all that <laughs> stuff. I, I, I tried to make myself look like creepy but not too creepy like you know i try to find that like proper balance in there well we've well established that rose is your waifu as long as your wife doesn't find out in real life that oh. rose is your real waifu then oh no my my wife knew from the get-go she she knew before we got married she's like yeah she's like i'm marrying you but she's like you know the rose thing i get it and you know she's like i can't compete with that i'm like yeah you can't but you know so anyway <laughs> but um uh so just to recap a little bit of what we've, we've talked about here in the article is a lot of this kind of revolves around the tarot card stuff. Uh, Excura leaked that there's a, a tarot card move up on the servers and uh, that move is very heavily that those type of things are very hi- heavily tied to Rose. Capcom released a set of tarot cards out there who um, uh, Rose, Rolento, Oro, Elena, and C Viper were the only characters that were not playable, are soon to be playable basically uh, after they, they got the tarot cards out there. So a lot of people are assuming those are kind of like the season four characters in there and stuff of that nature. It's it's not a lock. It's a lot of, you know, stringing stuff together that could be added up to like, yeah, this is a likely outcome, but it's not hundred percent outcome is, is the way I would state it. So I'm again, very excited. This is like my favorite fighting game character of all time. If they put her in here, I'm dropping Monat. Like the second it happens, I'll still play her like as a sub or whatever, but just like, this is my character and this is a character I really want to play. And of course I'm going to get completely trolled and Capcom's going to like, you know, like drop like Rolento's like sticks on everyone's head and And (laughs) Rolento's great too. I like, I, I I like him, but yeah, but I mean, it it, just tune in right after grand finals. That's where everyone, uh, that's where the previous two teasers have happened with Sakura and with Akuma. Um, and yeah, just have some fun with it. It's, uh, as I mentioned, we'll have full and complete coverage up on the website. Cool. I look forward to reading that on eventhubs.com. There you go. A little promotion there. We'll have to work in some more of those in the future. But uh, uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, the Latin America CPT finals also happened not that long ago. And uh, one of the great things that Dakota Dark Horse reported on is there was a Bison player. And man, we, we love giving Bison crap on here. Probably well-deserved crap. He but, deserves it. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he won. And, and he popped off. And he, was, yeah! he was like, you know, shouting and looking out, out at the crowd. And like no one was cheering for him at all like everyone was just kind of sitting there like yeah whatever and he just like he continued to pop off just like fine i'm gonna like cheer for myself yeah you know yeah. and i'm like yeah if a lot of people don't like bison i get it yeah that's yeah just, he gets his own he gets his own table at lunch that nobody else wants to sit at that's fine with me yeah it's so it, you you pretty much if you play bison you get cheered on by other bison players no one else that's just kind of how it's <laughs> how it works so yeah uh Anyway, getting into it, we also had a poll up about the uh, V-Triggers that need the nurse and, and need buffs. Uh, Bison's V-Trigger 1 didn't make the top 3, but it was definitely up there. But what did make the top 3 was Abigail's V-Trigger 1, Manat's V-Trigger 1, and Akuma's V-Trigger 1. And both mm-hmm. you and I are fairly well experienced in this game. I happen to you know, uh, run across you know, quite a few Manat players using V-Trigger 1, and I know the oppressive nature of it. I myself use v- V-Trigger 2, but... Are there any of those that kind of jump out at you and you go, yeah, that's like really obvious why they're looking to nerf those and, and just get rid of them uh, or get rid of them, tone them down, uh, neutralize them a little bit? Yeah, well, OK, so if we start with Manat, her V-Trigger, we, we see it almost every round and 
almost every Monat, but because you play her and not every single one of them, uses V-Trigger 1. I think you're the only V-Trigger 2 Monat in existence. Yep. Um, and so we've seen, especially with players like Justin Wong and Sako and Infiltration, exploring the potential of this V-Trigger, we're seeing a lot of it, and we're seeing just how scary it can be. And then when that happens, you have everybody else jump on the train and go, oh, I want to do that too now that I've seen that. And it makes a lot of sense. And and so we've really excavated and explored the, this V-Trigger in particular. And we've seen its potential, and it's really good. And it's the fact that it's... It's like you want a comeback mechanic, you want something that makes the character unique, and I think that it very much achieves that. But the fact that you get it after... It's two bars, right? Yep, two bars. And and you go, okay, that's a bit much, because if she's getting this kind of stuff twice in a game... And Minot does not rely solely on her V-Trigger. She's got some amazing zoning. Like, there's more to the round than just when Minot activates V-Trigger, although it's a big part of the round. Yeah. Um, so so I say it's good, like, it, it's very oppressive, it gets the job done, but it's, like, it's also digestible. You can deal with it in certain ways. You know, it's, it's like, hey, we'll have blocks, have V-reversals, don't put yourself in a situation. It's like, it's not something that's just absolutely ridiculous, and it takes a lot of technicality to to use. Mm-hmm. So I say, yeah, a, a three-bar is, is just about the only kind of change you would need to make to this V-trigger. It makes sense otherwise, um, but I don't think that she should get this tool twice in a round that's just too much to me yeah i the just off the top of my head we're getting close to season four i would change it to three bars well and maybe give her a little bit more all-around game uh we've spoken about previously how making a character heavily based around their v trigger is kind of bad design i really don't like it and it, it actually leads into another character we'll talk about here in a second uh, and that's abigail where the round doesn't start until they have their V-Trigger. And it's not that polarizing with Monat, but it's too close to that. There's just too much of that, like, all right, now she's got her V-Trigger. Oh, crap. What am I What am I supposed to do about this? And that gets a lot into the robbery aspect of the game. It gets a lot into the, like, okay, yeah, we've just fought for, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, but now the round really starts. And I get it. Capcom's trying to add hype and drama, comeback factors, all that, but... It's just, it's too oppressive now. It's too much like you don't want the round starting when someone pops their V-Trigger, especially if they've got a very strong mix-up into it or it's a pretty much a free activation, which it very much is with Monat. It's it's rare for her to not get her V-Trigger off. It can happen, but damn, you're almost never seeing her die with you know a full V-Trigger stocked up there. And yeah. same thing with, with, with Abigail. It's like, man, how often do you see it? It's like, okay, I've just taken off 60% of Abigail's health. Now he pops V-Trigger and he's killed me in like 10 seconds. That's really dumb design. That's not fun. It's not fun for anyone but the the people watching and the Abigail player. I will flat out admit, I love watching Abigail in tournament. He's the most mm-hmm. hype character ever. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have a bunch of gifts and a bunch of uh, images saved that I, I send to Dream King, who's an Abigail main, uh, of like players just like in anguish and just like with their their hands and their you know over their face and just like oh my god, like how what happened and all that just uh, because of how Abigail makes you feel. And as much as that is in entertaining and fun when you are on the other end of that you hate your existence and you go why am i playing this stupid game that's not a good feeling uh it's that happens sometimes but that should not be the overriding opinion about a character and that's kind of the overriding opinion about abigail and one of the ways we've talked about toning that down is just he gets less punches in v trigger and then my big thing is uh 
He needs to have his damn damage toned down. It's just, it, it's toned it down a bit. And he's still going to be the number one character for damage in the game, and, and he'll still be fine. But, uh, but yeah, how about you? Well, I wrote, I wrote about, or I spent about two hours writing an article exactly about what you're talking about with Abigail's V trigger, his design, and how we're seeing so much of his gameplay essentially be made or broken over his V-Trigger 1 usage. Um, I already agree that, yes, we should... I think he gets to do five of his Abigail punches with five the V-Trigger six, as it is right now. Ton, yeah. It's way too much. Like, And that's that's obvious. Um, and and so my the heart of this article, and I didn't end up posting it, I trashed it, um, because I felt like there were too many holes in it and I wasn't very confident in what I was saying. Um, but this, I think, is a great medium to just kind of have a conversation. And so I'll bring it up here. Um my the heart of it was he's a poorly designed character and and let me let me back up even further and just say that it's not to the levels that it was with Balrog in season two, Laura, the the robbery characters there. Abigail now is still not quite as bad as those characters were, uh, but it still think it's not great. So it's not like this is 100% breaking the Street Fighter Five game and experience, but it's more of along the lines of. We're in a decent place, but why not get better? Okay, yeah. so that's that's what that's my approach here with this. So I'm not like Capcom, you you piece of crap. Like Abigail's V trigger is making this a horrible experience, but I think that it could be made better. And so, first thing I go as an okay, if you were to go up to an Abigail player and say you don't get your V trigger anymore at all, would they say, well, then this character is completely worthless mm-hmm. to me now? Uh, do you think that that would be the case? Because I, I mean, one hundred and twenty percent. He's pretty much. He's not worthless without his V trigger, but he's close to it. He is. So, like, what else yeah. does he do as a character? Like, because yeah. I'm so I'm thinking about it. He's got good normals because he reaches so far. They're not fast, but their reach is They're ridiculous. Very right? slow with a lot of recovery. Um, he has more reach than Manat, which is hilarious. Uh, he has very high damage on those normals collectively, uh, but he doesn't get a lot in the way of combos unless he crush counters you or he is point blank to land his normals on you. Well, and his footsies, like, there's there's something to be played. Like, I'm trying to explore the different aspects of Abigail's gameplay outside right. of V-Trigger. And, like, yeah, he can he can kind of wiggle around and space himself appropriately so that if you jump at him, he can anti-air and combo you or so that he can control you with maybe, like, his crouching light punch. Um, but more often than not, I'm seeing Abigail's, like, just run at you and treat the run as a mix-up. They'll roll at you and uh, and hope that it works. And then if they if it doesn't work, well, hey, you're hitting him and building his V trigger. Yes. Then we get to V trigger, and then he starts playing his game. Now, there's an argument against it though, because like even recently, I within the last week, Cool Kid posted how he was using V trigger two and has been exploring with that. And it's like, well, hey, you know, how often does Abigail win without V trigger one? Well, I mean, if he's using V trigger two, which is nah, maybe like five percent of Abigails online that I run into are using that. Yeah. But there's something. There's an argument to be made. You know that that he does different that he uses other parts of his gameplay to to win rounds but it seems as though in tournament it's so so often comes down to he gets v trigger he goes he does v trigger things and and most of the time that either you know 100% works out for him or it doesn't yeah. And, off and if the, the character is based around that, then yeah. I think that's the poor design. I I agree. And off the top of my head, I I watch about as much tournaments as anyone. Uh, Nicholas uh, Majin Tension Hand. He is uh, he is the tournament maestro on Event Hubs. Uh, I'm sure he watches more tournaments than anyone else on the planet. I'm not even yeah. joking about that. Um, but I'm right up there with him. I you know I, I joke about you know putting the needle into my my veins and just like like the the fighting game community like tournament streams and just like ah and and going crazy. Yeah. I I love it. 
but I, I have a very difficult time not watching a ton of footage. In tournament with Abigail players, most of the time, I want to say a good 85% to 90% of the time they win, they have popped V-Trigger to, to get that victory. And that's, uh, I mean, I don't think that's completely out of the norm in terms of like, that's a lot of characters in Street Fighter V where they pop V-Trigger and they win. Uh, but the percentage of how often that happens, I think is quite a bit higher than a good portion of the cast. And that again goes back to bad design where you have one aspect that's just completely dominant and incredible and in, for some characters inescapable. Abigail has inescapable, unblockable, meaty setups on characters that you can't get around unless you have super or you have like an EXDP. Some characters just can't flat out get out of it and he could just sit there and loop them over and over and over again until they're dead. It's dumb and <laughs> it needs to go and be different. And I, I get, I, that is my favorite character to watch in tournament. I think right now, like literally I enjoy the character. I actually, I think his design is great. He's based on King diamond who, uh, John will probably chuckle at because dream King and I like love him as a musician, uh, because he's so ridiculous and stupid. And I, I we wish like he was more based around King diamond, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's the character's got a lot of good things going for him. Well, it's what just, else, what else does he, okay. So, mm-hmm. um, good things going to him outside of gameplay, right? But, like, as far as his gameplay, like, what other strategies does Abigail have? Like, what other tools does he have that that you'll legitimately see Abigail players use outside of V-Trigger? Because so, it's too much to say, well, what if you just got rid of his V-Trigger? It's like, you can't just get rid of somebody's right, V-Trigger. But right. it's like, if you take that away, what does he do now? So one of the things is he has one of the best anti-airs in the game in terms of what he gets off of it damage-wise. And so he's able to walk you down, especially with Crouching Light Punch. And this is something that Itazan does very well because he's a Zangief player, as, as most people know, and he's learned to be very patient over the years with the, you know, the grappler style. And that's traditionally how grapplers are played, is very patient, and then they they get in, they get the reward. Uh, yeah, so what Itazan does is he walks you down with Crouching Light Punch. If you jump, he anti-airs you into the run. Uh, his anti-air does 90, and then his run into punch, I think like it does a collective like 150, 180 damage, somewhere around there. Plus, he's knocking you back into the corner, which is where you do not want to be against Abigail. And that's a pretty good overall strategy, and you'll see Itazan pick up a few more wins and just kind of a few more general things than most other Abigail players because of that, because he has that patience and that kind of footsie understanding of how to play. Uh, Storm Kubo and a lot of the other Abigail players are a little bit more reckless and wild because, as you mentioned, they're still building V-Trigger up. They're still having that kind of going for him. So he does have a little bit in kind of the footsie area of things and more traditional street fighter it's just not that effective that's kind of the problem there is he has it but it's not that good compared to everyone else yeah so would you is it fair to call abigail a grappler character first of all or is he like some hybrid brawler uh i i 100 call him a grappler character he specializes in pinning you down in the corner or pinning you in an okazemi uh setup and then killing you uh that's grappler 101 to me mm-hmm. uh he has a vicious command grab that command grab is ooh, it, it's not as good as Zangief's command grab, but the way he can set that up, especially with his normals being so plus and the range on it and then the damage he gets off of it, he's, uh, in my opinion, very much a grappler. Yeah. And so this was another thing that I talked about in that article that I ended up trashing. It was that grapplers, like, first of all, it's it's fine to have the grappler archetype. Like, that's part of fighting games. Um, but 
I think that, in, and I might be wrong on this, but I think that the grappler archetype is a little more, like if you think about balancing characters, when you, like with Kami, you can be like, okay, well, I'll, I'll you know, reduce the, the plus frames on this move and I'll make her jump do this. And, and there's, a lot, there's a lot that goes into balancing these characters and you can move the needle in very minuscule ways to really fine tune um, other kinds of characters. But with grapplers... I think that when you try to move the needle, the movements are often much bigger. So, like, mm-hmm. the changes that are made are are more significant oftentimes with grapplers because their game plan is their risk-reward in the broadest sense is... I'm going to I'm going to you know do risks to get close to you and my reward is being close to you yeah. because I'm so dominant here. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 not all or nothing but it's closer to all or nothing than I think most other character designs tend to be and so it's like it's hard and that's why you see grapplers so polarized so often. Just to jump in and add to that, if you look at someone like Zangief's matchups over the history of Street Fighter, he usually has the most extreme of matchups. He mm-hmm. he doesn't often fall into the 6-4 range. They're, those are there, but you're more often seeing him in the 7-3 range either for or against him because he has that extreme playing style where he either dominates you or he can lose very badly. Right. It's like does he get in or does he not? And so if that's and it's 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 not that simple but that's kind of the game that you're playing more or less and so then you go well okay if i'm gonna make if you're a developer and you're gonna try to balance a grappler you're you're boosting their ability to get close but if they're way too strong like it's very easy to just make it too easy and then boom they're broken so you tend to you tend to err on the side of well i don't want them to be broken but then it's very easy to just have zangief in street fighter 5 as he exists now where sure he's a great character up in your face but how how often is zangief actually able to get up in your face Mm -hmm. and if he were able to suddenly just you know like do like what if he had birdie's headbutt where he can just you know be next to you um without a care it's like well yeah then he might be maybe the best in the game who knows or like definitely climb the tier list but it's like how do you fine-tune that i and and then so going back to abigail it's like well what do you change about the character to make it so that he's actually like playing the game instead of well can he get close to you and do his dumb stuff or not and it's like i don't envy that task of developers that have to to do that but i think that where he's at right now it feels like he's pretty all or nothing and that's again why i get back to i don't think he's very well designed and he's basically designed around his v trigger at least that's how he's being played right now you start with that uh, I I've thought about this one a lot. And you start with you you take down the V trigger. You don't want to take it away entirely. You still want to make it pretty darn effective. Characters without effective V triggers in Street Fighter Five are Vega, so you don't <laughs> yeah. want that. Uh, no one wants that. Not even Vega players. Uh, they don't want to you know have a misery with that. Like misery loves company. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> So you, you take that down first, and then you start adjusting up his normals a little bit. You make stuff a little bit faster. And granted, Abigail's got some of the best range in the game, but again, his normals are very slow. He's kind of like a weird doll seam type of grappler. Uh, it's it's very odd with him, and not a lot of people know that because he's so he doesn't do that a lot when he pops his V-trigger. But outside of that, he's doing a lot of ranged attacks. He's, he's spacing himself out from quite a distance there. Uh, so you, you buff those up a little bit. You give him a little bit more reward for landing those normals when you take that stuff away. And then you hope he ends up in a better place. And what you have to be careful of it with doing that is ruining the fun factor of a character and kind of the game. These characters need extreme things that are very good that make you want to play them. Um, but the extreme can't be too extreme. It can't be to the point where it's dominating the entire game. It needs to be very, very good, 
but just not killing and obliterating everything in its path. And that's unfortunately what V Trigger One does right now uh, for a number of characters. Actually, again, as we were talking about Monat, uh, I think it, it, a bit too much with Akuma. I don't think is as extreme, but coupled with Akuma's other tools, I think his V Trigger One is very good. That's kind of my assessment of why his V Trigger One is up there. I don't think in a vacuum it's amazing, uh, but with his other tools, especially EX Demon Flip, haha. Um, and just you know too much and, and again yeah that's that's what i see mainly with abigail yeah i think that buffing his normals so in in such a way that it makes him play footsies and it encourages mm-hmm. abigail players to play footsies and then getting rid of stuff like roll into like his sweep into v trigger cancel that puts you in an automatic mix up it's like that's i think that's silly i think that obviously it's very good and and even bringing that up i think abigail players hearing that will go no 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 you can't yep. come on yep. come on you can't do that and it's like that's because so much of this character is based around that kind of stuff yep. and so yes what you're i think what you're getting at as well is take away the things that make him dumb but you better replace that with something that makes the character worth playing exciting to play and ultimately uh, a more exciting to play or or i'm sorry fun to play as you know, the opponent and as the Abigail player. So, but again, we're getting into like, well, okay, this is completely different directions than where the character is right now. And again, I don't envy having to do that. And it's like, well, this is a, this is just an idea. Take away his roll into cancel, uh, tone down his V trigger, and then give him more in the way of normals. You do that if you're Capcom and it's like that may or may not work in the meantime. Well, you may have just, just broken your character, you know, in in a, you know, a worse way than he is now, making him unplayable or something. So it's like, man, that's that's tough to. It's a tough situation that I think that they're in right now, if they touch him at all. But but yeah, even Mike Z, who says everything is easy, and that's a developer of Skullgirls, and like says everything is easy and people should just do this. Even he says like character balance is really hard and difficult to do. Um, he's like infamous now on, on Twitter for uh, loading up Serlin's um, Fantasy Strike game and saying like, oh, your game has, you know, 6.5 frames of input lag and Skullgirls has like 3.5, like refund. Like <laughs> he's, he's so dramatic online and over the top. And again, even then, even him, he's like, you know what? Character balance is really hard. And man, Skullgirls only had like 13 characters or something. Uh, and again, you know, it's a 3v3 game, but there it is. Uh, and one of the things I'll throw out there before we move along, because I, I think we've, we've hit this topic pretty hard here, it, it, that is you want to take a unique aspect of a character and make that fun and good. And one of the unique things that Abigail has is his run attack. And if you speed that up and you make it so it's more difficult to react to, uh, there's a lot of good magic in that, in my opinion. And it could make him a very good and compelling character and not entirely based around his V-Trigger. And it gives him a more, you know, footsie, more... It gives him a more grappler playstyle and makes him pretty valid outside of his V trigger, especially if you sped that thing up. It's it's a decent move as is. Even faster, it's going to become a very good move, and I have no problem with that. It's um, he's at least not getting 800 damage off of that off of a single stray, you know, stand heavy punch in his V trigger. Basically, uh, that's that's a fine way to balance people. Um, Man, have we we talked about this a lot? Just well, yeah, and I think that <laughs> to me, I just look back at Zangief in Street Fighter Four, Ultra Street Fighter Four, and the way Snake Eyes played him. I don't think anyone complained that Zangief was too good, mm-hmm. and yet Snake Eyes was really winning with him, and he was earning it. He had to yeah. play a lot of footsies, and he did, and then he earned his way in. And I was like, man, that's a grappler character, and I think that that should be kind of a a reference point for anyone designing grapplers moving forward. 
now that we've been talking about grapplers for so much, let's get into Sagat, who basically kills grappler characters like they're nothing <laughs> traditionally <laughs> in Street Fighter. And that would be Bonchan saying that he was going to play Sagat pretty much at Red Bull Kumite uh, all the time and then decided matchups after the fact and didn't play Sagat at all. Yeah, he did uh, an interview with Red Bull, told him, I'm going to use Sagat. Everyone was super excited because Bonchan's known as the premier Sagat player. Yep. And and I guess uh, someone commented and said, well, on a recent, a more recent stream, he said that ah, I'm going back on that. I'm going to play Karen and Nash. And sure enough, that's what happened at Red Bull Kumite. And uh, did Bonchan go own too? I think he went 0-2, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me double-check that. Uh, that's one note I didn't have, so I'll cheat in the background while you discuss that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like I get it. You're playing to win, but it, it, I mean, it, I think it's just an unfortunate more than anything else is that Bon Chan teased us with, I'm going to play Sagat, and then he just totally didn't. And I don't blame him. I just blame him for, for going in and, and saying that for maybe the sake of hype. And I mean, maybe he, he really was going to do that the whole time and then at the last minute changed it up. But uh, I think the, the bigger thing here is, well, where the conversation goes is Sagat's not good enough, um, even for Bonchan at this point. And that's kind of a tragedy in and of itself. So we're all hoping, and, and I think that Sagat will probably end up being a... He's a good candidate for being one of those problem DLC characters in the next season where they'll buff him a little bit too much. But he's also one of those characters similar to Akuma where you're like, well, yeah, but he probably should be amongst the top just because of his legacy as a Street Fighter character, as the, the original fighting game boss. You know, it's like, eh... We'll give you a little leeway there. Hopefully he doesn't have things that make the game not fun, but he should be stronger than he is. Yeah, Bonchan played Daigo, and then he played Problem X, and the two matchups there were Guile and M. Bison. And since he cited matchups, like I, I don't look at Sagat and Guile and go, man, is that is that that bad? Like Guile's got a lot of good matchups, but I'm not looking at him and going, man, he just kills Sagat. But you've played the character a good bit. You were you know, kind of running through it, you're putting him through his paces for a little while, and I think you've basically mm-hmm. gone away from him. When you were playing Bison and, and against Guile, like, did you feel those two matchups were particularly hard for the character, or how did you feel when you played them? Uh, I think that Guile, the sentiment, the general sentiment is that Guile's a better Sagat. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's more of like, well, would it be better to use Karen or Nash in those situations? I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't feel like I have enough understanding of the character to really, or those other characters and how I would play and how those matchups go to really say that one would be better than the other. But I think that it's. Um, I mean, it's doable. Uh, but with Sagat's tools, uh, I, I think Karen's obviously the best character uh, in terms of who Bonchan has in his pocket, and and it. I think that it also makes sense that you would go with. Well, but see, you can you can almost match Guile, and then using EX um, Tiger shots to to offset his sonic booms. There's an argument there, I think. Like, I'm not terrified of Guile as Sagat, right? So, but so I don't know. And then same with Bison. Like, it's just that Sagat's game plan it's it's good, but it's not good enough for Street Fighter Five. Mm. So he's just kind of a watered down version of what you would expect him or hope him to be. Uh, but again, if you're Bonchan, why even say that from the get go? If you've you've put this much time into the character and you know this, and you know there's a decent chance you could be playing a Daigo and Problem X, the two pl- people he faced. Why would you say that? Uh, you know, it might have been hype, you know, because yeah, like we said, he's too many Red Bulls, about, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hype in, in the sense that everyone's looking at him to play to play Sagat. This isn't part of the Pro Tour, so points aren't on the line, uh, but money and prestige is. And I think at the end of the day, it's like you're still playing to win. Yeah. And he just doesn't feel confident in Sagat to, to play to win. So yeah, that's what I think it 
it, it kind of begins and ends. Dream King tun- tuned in to actually just to watch Bonchan play Sagat. Uh, we we have a lot of people who have man crushes on Bonchan uh, in our our, our uh, on our event hub staff. I am one of them. I love Bonchan. He is one of my absolute favorite players to watch play. Just how he approaches the game with control. His control and his footsies, I think, are some of the best in the fighting game community. Uh, he's consistently shown that. And when he gets on tilt, that's when he loses. And it's not impossible to tilt this guy, but. When he's not there, uh, that and again, it's why it's why Sagat is traditionally such a great character for him is his understanding of where to position people and to get them uncomfortable and to keep them there and just not letting them get in the spots they want to be at is such a high level thing, and it's why people like big reason why people love is Sagat. So he goes 0 2 in the tournament. Uh, we, you know, we're like, damn it, like, where's Sagat at? Like, play the character. And I think it was Gotchikun or someone. Uh, so maybe it was, no, Storm Kubo. After they played, uh, uh, he was playing Abigail and I think uh, Bonchan played Nash or Karen. And, and Storm Kubo, like, goes right up to the camera and does, like, the tiger shot, like, uh, animation, <laughs> like, right into it. It's like, where's Sagat? Like, even your comp- competition wants to see it, which may or may not be a good thing there, like, letting your competitors, you know, have a, uh, a say of, of who you're playing. But, Anyway, so post-match, Bonchan said that he still feels his Karen is extremely efficient, and from the sounds of it, he wasn't quite comfortable taking Sagat against the characters he faced today. Um, again, a lot to say there in terms of like, yeah, you kind of knew like there's, you kind of knew who was going to be there, right? Um, hopefully, we'll see more of Bonchan Sagat basically when he uh, has more time to work on the character, or some balance changes down the line in season four here. Um, and it goes back to the argument that we said, and we're not going to harp on this again, but. Again, some of these characters are just coming in a little bit too weak, and we'd rather see them come in uh, at a, a higher clip for reasons like this. So we can see people who've been playing Karen and Nash since season one and, and actually switch to one of these other characters and stand a pretty decent chance of competing at a high level. Uh, most of the characters in season three, in my opinion, simply do not have enough gusto to get through it. I think G is basically the one character. I do keep an outside chance of Cody being there as well. Uh, because I've played Shazzy enough online and I know how good that damn guy is and I want to <laughs> see him play in tournaments like all the time. Um, please get out there and play. He's one of the top players online. I think he's like number three in the the, the overall um, point rankings. Yeah, he's like, a warlord. Yeah, oh my goodness. He's he's incredible. Just in the way he plays is, is really fundamentally so. You always feel great if you somehow manage to beat him. Uh, and he plays a lot, so. Yeah. So another topic to get into here are Street Fighter V players and kind of players in general moving away from the game to go play Dragon Ball Fighters. And there are a couple of names that jump out here, and they're two of the best fighting game players that we know of, and that would be uh, Goichi and Kazunoko. And I wanted to go in here and like say, okay, like I know that that both guys are, are playing Street Fighter V less, but is it like measurably less than what we've seen in the past? And so I went and looked at their their CPT points for the last couple of years and what they're currently at right now. And Goichi has almost not been heard of at all here in 2018. Uh, he was started off with Monat, and then Dragon Ball Fighters came out. And he's pretty much I'm almost never seeing him in tournament anymore. I think he's playing, but I think he's just getting you know eliminated pretty early on. Uh, but he has 101 points right now, and that's good for 130 third on the CPT leaderboards. And just to give an idea of, of how much he's fallen off, he was 19th overall in 2017, and then he was 18th in 2016. He's went from one of the, you know, like, locks at Capcom Cup to pretty much not being relevant at all in the game. And obviously he's uh, probably the second overall player behind Sonic Fox, I think, right now in Dragon Ball Fighters. Uh, he's completely switched over to that game now. 
And similar case here with Kazunoko. He was ninth last year in 2017. He was 23rd in 2016. Again, qualified for Capcom Cup all the way. He's currently 47th with 264 points. He could still get into Capcom Cup, but it seems like he's kind of not okay. Uh, he's kind of okay with not playing Street Fighter V at the level he's played Street Fighter with in the past, and he's actually won two Dragon Balls in the Dragon Ball Pro Tour right now. Uh, he's clearly one of the best Dragon Ball players. And it's interesting to me. So what I go back to here is, one, it's very hard to stay on top of two AAA titles. It's very clearly. You you kind of pick one of the big games and you go from there. And if you are if you want to juggle Dragon Ball Fighters and Street Fighter V at the same time, uh, I don't know. One, I don't think there's a single person doing that at a very high level right now. You would expect someone like Justin Wong, who has a history with Averse games, like, okay, well, you know, he's going to be really good at Dragon Ball Fighters and Street Fighter or, you know, a Filipino champ or something. And kind of no one's doing it. Chris G is probably like off the top of my head the best example I can think of and even what him what about Sonic Fox I mean so you're just saying just Street Fighter it was Street Fighter and well triple A games now our definition of triple A games is going to get a little controversial here at least mine is uh, I only have a handful of games in the triple A category and and I'll get into that here in a little bit but yeah Sonic Fox is uh, is not playing Street Fighter V at a high level or any of the games that I consider AAA. Um, it's it's pretty much like Chris G, and, and his results are very mixed. It seems like he's struggling to get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's just a decision that Kazunoko and Goichi have both made. They're just going to focus on Dragon Ball. Um, and I don't think that... Well, because when you introduced this topic, it sounded like you were saying there might be like an exodus of players going from five to Dragon Ball, and I, I don't think that that's the case. Yeah, just a but, handful. Sure, sure. Um, and I know that... I mean, at least with these two very prominent and important players, that that is the case, or it appears to be. But I don't think that general numbers are, are probably hurting because of Dragon Ball or something like that. No, just a couple like very top end players. Uh, my my main point of this again, and I'll, I'll get into it here. These these are the AAA titles, in my opinion, in the community. This doesn't have anything to do with how much like you know budget and marketing and all that was spent on them. This is heavily has to do with how much the entrants are for these games at tournaments. And to me, that's a big indicator of how difficult the field is basically to play. Uh, and I'll put a game on blast here right from the get-go. Uh, I know we just had the you know grand finals for the tournament, but Injustice 2. You go in there and you look at the entrance for the game, and it's you know a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth of what the other top-end games are. And by sure mathematics alone, just that, that sure I should say, it's much easier to get to the top eight of that game into place than it is in like a Street Fighter V because you're playing that much less rounds. You have that much less competition. If you have to go through 300 people, relatively speaking, it's brackets. You're not having to, you know, play all the 300. That's a hell of a lot easier than if you have to go through 64 people. And if your game does not get consistently high level entrance, I don't consider you a AAA title. And this is a, you know, this is a category in my own head. This is not defined by anyone else, I think, but me. Um, but the, the AAA games that I have that consistently have great turnouts at tournament, like top level and the competition level is incredible, is Street Fighter V, Dragon Ball Fighters, Smash Melee, and uh, Tekken 7 and then Smash 4 until very recently I thought was there uh, and it's it just kind of like Ultimate is really close to on the horizon so I think stuff has waned a little bit there but those are like my top end games where if you can dominate at that you're typically not dominating at anything else. And that's what we see with those games. Uh, you have, you know, your gods of melee, you have your top in smash four players. You have, you know, Dragon Ball fighter, street fighter five. Those players are very rarely going to other games and doing very well with them. Uh, 
pardon me, I'll, I'll throw it out there. We're putting it on blast anyway. It's, I enjoy the game, but Skullgirls, it's much easier to dominate in Skullgirls than it is going to be in Dragon Ball Fighters. It's just the competition's just not there. You, you're, you're having to play 20 people uh, that entered the tournament versus like 200 or 300 or 400 with Dragon Ball Fighters. And Sonic Fox has his sights set on Ultimate, so that'll be interesting. Maybe, I mean, that will, I, I assume, be a AAA title, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, so and maybe the biggest fighting game uh, for a while. It, it's certainly setting up to be um, to be a huge thing. But uh, he's he's talked about it on um, social media how he's coming for zero, and plans to be one of the best. We'll see what happens. But man, if uh, I can't, I, you can't bet against him, right? Yeah, I'm 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 really skeptical on this one. Uh, I've doubted Sonic Fox a number of times, and I had that blow up right in my face. Uh, I definitely think he's one of the most talented and capable fighting game players of all time, very clearly. Um, but Dragon Ball Fighters is the first mainstream game he's done incredibly well at, uh, where it's look uh, again, Dead or Alive. I, I think it's a great game, and he's done. You know, he's been one of the top players there. But that's not. It's not Tekken Seven. It's not the same as Tekken 7. It's not as it's not as competitive or as dominant. It's much harder to be great at Tekken 7, if you ask me. This is not speaking anything to the skill level involved in these games. The skill level involved is whatever it is. People are going to say, oh, you know, well, you know, this is scrubby about this game or this takes more skill or whatever. That's all relative. Um, you can It's in the eye of the beholder, whatever you want to say there. But mathematically, when you have to play that many more people, you have to adapt to that many more styles. There's that many more characters and matchups you have to know. Uh, the the fatigue factor sits in with tournaments that are very, you know, that have a lot of people in there. Uh, if your tournament can be played in two or three hours, like collectively the entire thing, and you're you're there and out, it's you're not having to factor in a lot of other stuff that these other players have to do. Plus the fact that there's a lot of money on the line for the the, the games I've just made uh, named in most cases. There's a lot of factors in there that I don't think people quite, you know appreciate along the way because they're just like oh you know street fighter 5 everyone plays it blah 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 it's like yeah a lot sure. of people play it and a lot of people are very good at that game same thing with smash a lot of people are really damn good especially at melee where they've built up years and years and years of experience and getting through pulls and getting through those latter stages gets really damn hard and those gods the the gods of melee they really have earned those titles um so thoroughly because of the it just man i can't even imagine being on top of a game for that long like just being up in that upper echelon and the the amount of mental fortitude and skill it takes to do so um and i i, I probably uh, just on that note alone like i'm just starting to to mention one of the persons that that kind of breaks this rule and that's leffen uh he's on top of melee he's around there for dragon ball fighters but even then he's struggling to keep up with both games uh and that is like you know just tournament disqualifications um he kind of focus on focuses on one game and then doesn't go to play the other and he's having a lot of back and forth results there where I think that if he was purely dedicated to one or the other, I think his results would probably be a little bit better. Um, but he's, he's actually managing to juggle both games right now, but he's a great case in point, uh, an extremely talented fighting game player who is, is struggling to maintain, you know, that, that rate in both games. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Uh, the last thing I had here is Prima is shutting down. Uh, this is, you know, they, they, bought out Brady Games not that long ago. They're, they're uh, most famous for doing strategy guides for a number of games, some of them of mixed quality, but a number of them of really high-level quality and great stuff. Uh, and I just, you know, a little tear to my eye uh, and how much that, that Prima has been a part of the fighting game community and just kind of gamers' lives in general. And it, it, I'm sorry to see them go. It's, it's unfortunate. It's the reality of business. It's 
I don't think anyone. It's the times. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone didn't kind of expect this to happen, uh, but it did happen, and, and here we are. So I just wanted to give Prima here a little shout out for all the work they've done over the years. I've bought a number of those guides and and loved a, a many of them and, and thought they did great work, and I am sorry to see them go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that if you've been around for for more than uh, maybe ten years in the fighting game community, you probably have an old Prima guide for something. You know, uh, in the gaming community, I should say, uh, for for you know whether you're trying to get through Zelda or GoldenEye or whatever, you know that there was uh, <laughs> that dates me right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we all have our our old stacks probably at mom's house somewhere of uh, Prima guides, and and it was I mean before the internet that was all you really had, you mm-hmm. know. And so uh, it's like I say, it's a sign of the times. It's just technology changes things, and unfortunately, like. It's, it's made that kind of a thing obsolete. I was surprised to see that there were still guides being made for as long as there were. I was like, that's it's more just maybe the novelty of it because, you mean, then the time it takes to kind of like flip through a guide, it's like so much easier to just jump on your phone and type in what you're specifically looking for and have 16 different hits pop up, of, you know, explaining from different angles what you're looking for. Yep. So, yeah, it is what it is. But now you can, uh, I'm sure that your collection of Prima guides will go up in value and you can save those and... <laughs> Make a pretty penny off of them or keep them and frame them for, for later on in life when you're showing your grandkids your stuff. There you go. Uh, so something I wanted to get to specifically here, and and I don't have all the answers. This is more of just I want to have a conversation about this because I think that the fighting game community should have a conversation about this. Was uh, inspired by my friend Reedman uh, here in the Arizona community shared a post from R. Salty from a guy named Dangeresque Guy. And uh, I won't go in too far to, to everything he says because it's kind of a long post, but my takeaway was his commentary was kind of on the idea that people call fighting games such a niche genre. It is a niche genre. And they say within esports and within gaming in general, we've been around for 30 years and yet still fighting games aren't one of the bigger ones while you have you know Fortnite pop up and become this phenomenon and MOBAs and Counter-Strike and whatnot. And it's like, why aren't we that? And there's people have talked about that for a long time. And one of the first things you hear are fighting games are just too hard and you have to go in and get your ass kicked for a really long time before you see any success. And then um, and, and nobody really wants to do that. So you're only going to have like more dedicated hardcore players stick with it. Um, and that's one of the big, but not, not at all an exhaustive explanation as to why people might not want to play fighting games as much as other games. Um, but they bring up a kind of a good point in the way people learn fighting games versus how they learn other stuff. And I'll read this little bit from, uh, from Dangeresque Guy's uh, post here to give you an idea. He says, think of it this way. When someone plays Counter-Strike or Overwatch, the path to victory is extremely clear. At low levels, if you are better at shooting and aiming than your opponent, then you will likely win more than you lose. You don't really have to worry about advanced tactics like team movement, peaking, and other advanced tactics until you get better at the game and the curve of greater and greater skill ceilings go up with you as your skill goes up. This is aided by the matchmaking generally pairing you up against people who... Uh, it's kind of weirdly worded here, but basically people who more or less are in the same, um, you know, skill level as you. Um, and then you go to, uh, so so that's 
end quote there, but you go to fighting games and it's just so difficult. And we've talked about that quite, quite a bit. Um, but one of the things about it tends to be like when you first start fighting games, you explore special moves and you explore combos and then you kind of go out and you try to implement those things. But so often people don't explore what normals do um, to the amount that they should, I think. And I wrote an article, I posted it last night, exploring this a little bit further. It's like in tutorials and and training and tutorials and fighting games have gone from non-existent to a, a very good place with where they're at now, but they still don't really often articulate what it is to to you know what a cross up is what controlling the space with footsies are and it's like footsies and and all that is so integral to the fighting game experience it's like that's the foundation and then having special moves is something that you use to build further you know and combos combos start with a single move it's like you have to know and appreciate how that move works before you can appreciate why it's good to go into a combo with it but so many people just learn how to like dp and throw a fireball I treat those as like, those are like floaties that you put those on your DP and your fireball floaties. And then you jump out into the ocean. You're not going to do very well for very long. And sure, you might get some wins here and there, but you're not on a foundation. If you understand the, the intricacies of all your normals and how they work, and then you understand foot, you know, fireballs and uppercuts and special moves it's like going out in the ocean with a full ship it's like you have a lot better of a chance of surviving out there because you know you're on a sturdy foundation um and i was in a tournament on saturday here locally and i played against driftwood who doesn't even play the game anymore he plays karen and uh, and he just he washed me and and it's like man i feel like i can't i can't I don't have an answer because your footsies as Karen are better than mine as Nikali. I have to play these guessing games and you have a read on me specifically as a mm-hmm. player. And so, and so like, that's kind of what the deciding factor was. And we sat and we talked about it for a while and we explored. It's like, sure, she might have advantage on the ground because she's a little bit faster and maybe her, her buttons are a little bit better from further ranges. But the w- without going into too much detail, it's like, well, use your roundhouse. Why? Because it's it's an oppressive move, and when it works, it crush counters, and it, and it makes me really scared of the entire space. And that's a pretty good space that Nikali's roundhouse goes, and and it's like, but that's that's unsafe, and you shouldn't do that because it's so slow. It's like, yeah, well, don't whiff it a whole bunch, but get into that range where you're using roundhouse to control a specific range, and you're communicating to your opponent this you can't be in this area because if you are you're really running the risk of getting crush countered by this really strong move and that lets me play my game so once you instill that then then your opponent's like well okay so i can't really get in this space and push buttons or i'm going to be a little more hesitant to what does that do for you well now i can walk forward and start using crouching medium kick and crouching medium punch and using those in a similar way and that communicates something else to my opponent about that specific range and then i can use that to move on to the next level which is to get within range of like standing medium kick and there's this entire process that Mm -hmm. emerges and it's like your opponent's doing the same thing as well right and so it's not just this one like flow chart like i get to use roundhouse three times and then i can start to use this other button it's a little more nuanced than that but i'm thinking about it i've like i've been playing for almost 10 years now and i've seen decent success and you know like i've i've won a cpt event in mexico for street fighter 4 i've, I've beaten infiltration at evo it's like I've, I've had success but i have not thought about footsies on this level 
and I'm like, where could I have been if, you know, if, or where could I be eventually if I'm thinking about this? How much better of a player could I have been? And it's like, it's to say that you can, you can, you know, approach this with, with, you can approach fighting games in general with these like floaties on and you can get decently far, but you're not going to get as far as you could without this fundamental knowledge. And I'm wondering like, man, if players that were just starting out started with this, they started to understand I can manipulate my opponent by using this particular move, whatever game and whatever character you're talking about. And it's not a special move. It's just this plain, boring, normal. And I can, I can implement that into this huge, vast idea of, of a game plan. It's like that, that's going to stick with you for forever. And that's going to make all these other special techniques and combos that much better and that much more effective in your gameplay. And so if tutorials were to communicate that, and I think that um, Killer Instinct and Virtua Fighter 4 actually did more on this front than I think anybody else. Um, but if we started teaching players this kind of stuff, well, then they're going to go out there and they're going to start seeing success faster and they're going to have more of a sense of reward. And I think it's going to make fighting game play in general much more inviting. And I think that that would be a good first step, not the only step and not the only realm of, of progress that we need to not the only realm that we need to make progress in to blow fighting games up to be a bigger thing like, you know, Fortnite and, and all these other esports. Um, but I think that that would be a good first step in getting there and, and retaining players. It's like you come in, you learn how to DP. It's like, oh, well, that was fun when it worked, but it really isn't working anymore. And ah, I'm tired of it. Ah, I'm going to go play something else where I just have to put my you know cursor on a, an opponent and click and then, and then I kill them. And not to say that these games aren't you know very intricate at, at higher levels, but it's easier to, to win at a lower level in a lot of these other esports kind of titles. I think that we could retain more players if we started teaching them the fundamentals instead of just these fluffy or giving them floaties and sending them out into the ocean. A number of our listeners might be saying that I've heard the term footsies a lot over the year. What the hell are they? What the hell is a footsie? Because most people, you know, assume the literal term of like, you know, you're, you've taken your shoe off and you're like rubbing your foot up against someone else. And, <laughs> and that's, I mean, again, what the term has evolved from, but man, is it ever inaccurate in terms of what it actually describes. And, mm. and to boil it down to what footsies fundamentally are, is they're about controlling space. And it's about being in the spots on screen where you're better than the other player. You're using your normals and your buttons and walking back and forth to get to those spots on screen where you are effectively better than the other character or player. And those ranges and the timings and all that stuff, they vary from character to character, matchup to matchup. Um, but you're fundamentally controlling a space on screen, especially in 2D fighters. 3D fighters are a bit different. Uh, I don't quite know how you know the footsie game works there, but 2D fighters are my bag. So, uh, and I'm I've been a footsie-based player for the longest time. That's fundamentally what I pride myself on the most. Uh, and I'll get into Street Fighter Five footsies here in a minute. But fundamentally, you're looking for the spots on screen where you can control the action and when you're better than the other player. And if you can keep that other player in that box in those areas, more than likely you're going to win. Uh, it's you are effectively limiting their options and limiting the ways that they can play when you have a great footsie game. And if you want to see this in action in Street Fighter V, you have to be a little careful with this game because it's it's very heavily dependent on the character you play. Someone like Nikali has great buttons. They can properly play footsies. Karen is another one who Driftwood plays and also um, someone who I bring up quite often on the pod, and that would be um, Punk. But mm -hmm. it works the same way with Bonchan. Bonchan is another, character, uh, another player who has 
unbelievably good footsies, Ricky Ortiz as well, uh, Justin Wong as well. Uh, they play a very footsie fundamental style that makes it hard for you to do things. And again, everyone's comfort zone is a little bit different uh, as a player and then again as a character you use. Uh, but I will throw this out there that Street Fighter V takes traditional footsies for many of the characters and turns them on their head and says, mm-hmm. okay, now go ahead and play footsies. And boy, was that a mind bender for me. Uh, one of the things about Rose in Street Fighter IV, who I played uh, very actively at a pretty decent level, I got out of, um, I could get close to getting a pulls at majors and different things. I was an okay player with her. Um, uh, damn. Does was this game ever just pretty much like dropping me on my head and saying, "Okay, go play Street Fighter now," <laughs> and, <laughs> and I play Monat, who's you know uh, not Rose, but has some similar moves, and that's how I want to play. So that's how I look for it. Uh, Street Fighter Five goes back to the timing and rhythm stuff in there when you're playing these footsies, the anticipation of where someone is going to be at on screen and hitting a button. Then is much more prevalent and common in this game, and and. It's the anticipation that you have to look for here, where in other Street Fighter games, it was much more of a reaction because you had longer and faster normals. A lot of the medium punches in other Street Fighter games are faster than they are in Street Fighter V. You're looking at around six to seven frames for a number of the medium attacks in this game, and they're stubbier. They don't have as much range, but they have a lot of plus on block. And so Capcom has inherently designed this game to get in other people's faces, uh, use those stubby normals to get up, get close, and blow someone up. Uh, so with the speed differences, with all that kind of stuff, you you generally are trying to put yourself uh, in a re, uh, predictive p- position to to land your slower normals, to, to land those and then blow someone up for it. And uh, we've been into this before, and it opens up a whole other can of worms, but risk-reward and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's been dialed back quite a bit playing the traditional footsie game in this, so everything John said is accurate and true, and it's something that is it helps every player fundamentally to understand what footsies are and how they work. Do realize it is a lifetime of growing your footsie game and getting better. Uh, the best of the best are still getting even better at it and, and, and growing that game. But it is something fundamentally that does help you and makes you appreciate the game a lot more. Uh, something John here, Velociraptor, said was what separates fighting games from rock, paper, scissors? What makes you inherently feel much more of a satisfaction for doing something? And that's oftentimes conditioning your opponent into a situation where you can read what they're going to do. And it wasn't just because you just did it. Sometimes it happens. That's part of the game. But where you inherently feel that, you know what? I knew that Daigo was going to walk up to me and try to punch me in the face. I knew it was going to happen. And I, I just took a half step back and I whiff punished him and I did, went to super and I killed him. I KO, I won the tournament. And that, that level of satisfaction you get from conditioning the other player and just reading them is it's wonderful. And it's why fighting games have that, that rush to them. And, and, Absolutely. and, and street fighter five very much has that too. It's people want to knock the games. It doesn't have that. You just do random. Just the random factor is too high. We're talking about that, but just because a random factor is too high does not mean these other things do not exist. I want to read another little part from this uh, post. 
It says, it's impossible for someone without a nuanced understanding of defensive play and punishing things to win against someone who is always just pressing buttons, which is a habit that the vast majority of new players develop. In fighting games, just walking back and forth and pushing buttons at the quote-unquote right times will not net you wins as a new player because you don't understand the arcane fundamentals of spacing and footsies. You won't be positively reinforced, and you will revert back to some primal instinct and just start flailing out. Inevitably, most of those players then quit because the game offers no advice and doesn't explain the most important aspect of any fighting game, the effing neutral. And um, and, and so I would hope that moving forward, developers tend to put that into their games uh, to explain this. But it also falls on us as those that um, are playing fighting games and have been for a while to communicate this. I was getting back earlier. It's like why you do something, why it's good to not just wake up DP and and communicate where it's good to do stuff and where it isn't to new players and um one of the the results of doing this it's like when you're paying attention to your spacing and your normals and your opponent's spacing and their normals and you know how these things work and you get a more and more intimate understanding you do things that daigo does daigo is famous for doing this kind of stuff but um and he did it most recently at uh what was it uh I forget, Kimono Michi, when, when he did the first of 10 against Tokido that you referenced earlier, he's actually done this back in Street Fighter 2. But when you crouch in fighting games, you expand your hurt box mm-hmm. a little bit so you're, you're more easily reached um, than when you're standing. And plus, if you're going to do a standing move or like if you're Guile and you're going to throw a sonic boom uh, to go from crouch to stand, that takes like a frame or something like that. And, and essentially, you slow yourself down. He was walking up to Tokido and then standing instead of crouching. That kind of stuff was making Tokido's moves whiff when they wouldn't have if, if, he, were, if he were crouching. And then he was whiff punishing from there. And it's like, you don't get to that point where you understand hit hurt boxes and and spacing and neutral like with that much intimacy and nuance without you know approaching the game with a with a sense of intent to the neutral it's like you want to start playing like daigo you want to do the amazing things he does it's like they're not they're not ridiculous to the point where where you don't understand what's going on and like anyone can do that but it's it's very easy to just circumvent that and go to the flashy stuff and start learning about the the comeback mechanics and all of that, which are very much part of the game. And we're happy that they're there and they're very nice for the for for you know watchability and they keep things fresh and interesting. But man, the idea of playing neutral strong and the idea of every time I push a button or make a movement, I am communicating something to my opponent. Mm-hmm. I am sending them information. And winning this match is essentially sending them th- certain information and then turning that on its head and manipulating them with that. Like, that's what's fun, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I would encourage everyone that has uh, even a beginning understanding of that to communicate that to other players that don't know it as much. And I encourage everyone to focus on that and level up their game um, in that way because I think that investing into this, it's not its not the most glamorous concept in fighting games, but investing into it is a, is a very good long-term investment. And that's how you start to play like Daigo. That's how you start to level up. And that's how you start to see results. Like when you whiff punish someone because you've planned to do it, man, that's way more satisfying than popping Abigail's V-Trigger and pumping it up and then just killing someone, you know, taking 70% of their life off because they guessed wrong. And these are the reasons why we started the podcast, just so people know. We wanted a different medium to explain these things on long form, very long form here, uh, of why this stuff works the way it does and how to 
when a bunch of crazy stuff happens to you, it's really hard to unpack that and process what happened. And and hopefully the pod on a number of occasions is helping people out there to understand and go, oh, this is what's going on here. Now I can, you know, talk to my friends about this. Now I can level up and get better. And we're trying to really, you know, unpack the stuff on the website and other things. It's not just on, you know, the game creators to do it. It's on us as a community, us as a media outlet to get out there and get this information in front of people so they can start, you know, getting better, leveling up and having more fun with the game. Once you, once you get to this level and you, you're able to get it, like your appreciation for what's going on, uh, the game becomes even more watchable. Uh, your experiences become better. The more, you know, it, it, it just, it really helps out things. Absolutely. Well, I think that's, I've said everything that I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm good too. All right. Well, thank you guys again for so much for uh, checking us out, listening to the podcast. Please, as always, like, comment, subscribe, whatever the, the social media stuff is. Uh, leave us some five-star reviews. And and if you have anything that you specifically want us to talk about, include that in your reviews. Include it in the comments if, you, uh, if you're looking at this on the article on the website. We'd love to hear back from you guys. It's not just us up here. It's, it's um, you know, it's all about you as well. So uh, we'd love to talk about anything that, that you have for us. And, um, and yeah. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Adios.